If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Paula Radcliffe, she's going to smash the world record. Welcome to Off The Bench Podcast. I'm Molly McElwee, a journalist and writer. And I'm Lauren Rouse, two-time Paralympic rowing champion. Each week, we'll be inviting extraordinary women athletes, coaches and leaders in sport onto the show. They'll be sharing moments they felt sidelined during their careers and how they found ways to smash through barriers and succeed regardless. From difficult injuries to living life online as an athlete to finding their way in a male-dominated industry, these incredible women will be sharing what they've learned along the way. Today, we welcome England Red Rose, Shauna Brown, onto the show. During her five-year rugby career, Shauna packed in a whole lot of success to reach the very top of the sport. She won a domestic title with Harlequins, collected four Six Nations titles with England, and reached a dramatic World Cup final last autumn before retiring in December. I mean, Lauren, I loved meeting and speaking with Shauna. How did you find the conversation? I'm certainly very proud to call her a friend of mine. I think she just radiates such incredible energy and that really shone through in in the episode today. And I just love um, how much of a role model she is both on and off the pitch for women's sport. And I just think everybody's going to love listening to this episode as much as we did. I think so too. I mean, without further ado, here's Shauna Brown on this episode of Off The Bench. Welcome, Shauna, to Off The Bench Podcast. We are honestly so pumped to have you on this episode. Being a mate of yours, your energy just radiates and it has been a real a kind of inspiration for myself watching you go through your career, recently going through your retirement and taking on new challenges. But we'll get into a bit that a bit later. But for me, I've been so excited about this podcast and this episode because you speak so incredibly about the future of women's sport and where your vision of where it should go and what it should be and I just love the energy that you have around it and your opinions on it and how you just approach life so I'm absolutely so buzzing for this episode so yeah thank you for coming on oh thank you for having me I just sort of speak my truth and people go oh yeah what a good idea I'm like well I've just had those thoughts in my head all of the time you just got to say them out loud sometimes <laughs> yeah <laughs> love that love that echo everything Lauren said I, I, I wonder if we can start just by taking you back because the more I read about you the more remarkable it is that you ended up in rugby because you had a ton of careers first I mean you 
did the hammer throw, you did the discus, you even boxed professionally, you were a firefighter, you were a British gas engineer for a while. <laughs> Just how at 25 you found rugby or, or you got to start playing rugby professionally, how, how come it took you so long? Uh, why did it take me so long? Because I went to a state school um, in the middle of South London, no grass. Um, it was a good school. It's not It's not a sob story. They're just, it was literally on New Cross Road and there was no grass. So rugby was never something I ever he- heard of. It was not on, well, it's not on the national curriculum, so they don't have to teach us it. It's, it's just not a thing in, in my family, in my circle, my friendship circle, like rugby and now I, I do it and play it. I almost forget myself that rugby's not not a thing for so many parts of not only our, our country and society, but this world. And as a lot of people in my life, when I tell them, oh, like I play rugby or used to play rugby, you go, oh, that's was that the one like American football? And I go, yeah, kind of, but but better. And they go, what position do you play? And I think, hmm, do you actually know rugby? And I go, I play prop. And then their face looks as blank as it did when I told them I play rugby. Then I have to do this sort of motion when I put my hands together and put my knuckles together. So, so when the scrum happens, I'm just at the front of the scrum. And they go, oh, so they haven't got a clue. And um, so, yeah, pretty, very much grew up in a, in a world where rugby did not exist at all. And then the reason I started playing at 28 was at Sick Form College. So I went to Christ the King Sick Form in, in Lewisham. And I, I took my A-level PE and part of that, we just had a rugby session in the loosest of terms. I think there was only like eight of us in the class and it was me and one other girl and the rest were boys. And we essentially were just fighting for 20 minutes and it was brilliant. And I was like, so we didn't play the game of rugby, but it was loads of drills, which anyone in rugby would know now, like loads of wrestling drills, sort of jumping on the back, trying to get each other to the floor all those, well, like I say, it was just a big fight for 20 minutes and it was actively encouraged. And it was like, Shauna, I know you've got more there. Like you can hit harder. You can take them to the floor quicker. I'm like, whoa, what a revelation. And I thought, I'm going to have to give this sport a proper go. I love that. I think that I relate to it so much in terms of like, I never did rowing when I grew up and had no clue what I was doing. To be honest, when I turned up to my first session of rowing, I thought I was going to be doing canoeing. Um, and if listeners don't know what the difference is between the two of them. I was going to say, aren't they the same? <laughs> one you go forwards and one you go backwards. Um, and to my surprise, when I got there for my first session and was watching all the other rowers on the lake, I was like, why is everybody going backwards? Like, I genuinely thought I was turning up to do canoeing. But anyway, that's a sub story in itself. Um, but I just had this like interest in it and I was intrigued by what it was. And then when I sat in a boat, I was just hooked. It sounds like so similar to you of just getting involved and being like, I'm I'm hooked on this. And there was something in my brain that was like, I need to, I need to be good at it. Did you feel like that when you started rugby? You were like, I want to be good at this. Well, I, I did try and lie to myself. So it was at the end of my athletics career. I'd done shot discus and hammer for a while, and like it ended up in me going to the Commonwealth Games to represent England in the hammer throw. And so I said I was just going to retire from sport and and be a normal person and have my normal job and go to home at five o'clock at night, watch TV, go to bed, wake up in the morning, go to work. Right, that lasted about two weeks. I can't do this. There's so many spare hours in the day. I cannot do this. Um, and, and found the local rugby club just because, like I said, I had a go before and I thought, well, let's, let's give it a proper go. Um, and it was, I, I, could get, I told myself, it was just something to do with those spare hours in the evening. 
and it was nice and local. So I, I've always traveled so far, as Lauren, you'll relate to, like you just travel the furthest you need to go to get the best coaching, the best clubs, the best facilities you need to. So rugby was now 20 minutes down the road. And that was that was exciting for me in itself because I could go home, eat dinner after work and then go to, I didn't have to rush everything in a small space of time. And it was just something to do in the evening. And I told myself that, and that lasted a bit longer than two weeks. It was more like maybe three months. And then I thought, I could be very good at this. I just need to make some changes. And I found Harlequins. I literally sent an email, just said, can I have a go? Which sums up my life. I just say, I I have no idea what I'm doing. I just want to go. And people go, yeah, why not? And that is a big life lesson of mine. But yeah, it was after a few months, represented Kent in my first sort of half a season of rugby. And then I actually, the guy said, are you going to come and play for Kent next year? And I, I did say to him in, in very Shauna fashion, mm, I'd love to, but I'm trying to play for England now. I've decided I want to play for England and a premiership club. And I've heard that if you play for a premiership club, you can't play for Kent. So probably not. And he went, yeah, all right. See you next year. And I was like, there you go. <laughs> and, and I've never played for Kent again because I went to a premiership club. See you next year. Love that. You had, obviously you had such a vision for yourself, which is incredible and especially when it's a sport you find you found at, at a relatively I guess older age um I mean y- you've spoken about before how um how rugby is also a predominantly white male sport how how did you find you were received once you entered the world of kind of elite rugby what was that space like for you um e- even grassroots rugby I'd say I, I felt different straight away um, how how I am as as a personality, how I speak, how I speak physically, but also what I say. So, like from my accent, I didn't realise that South London had an accent compared to Kent. And it's only when I hear other people from South London come to Kent, like you're from South, aren't you? Um, so it's how I sounded, which again I didn't realise other people would point that out. But then my frankness as well, it's just it's very black and white. I'm like, why did you why did you drop the ball? Doesn't make it like why can't you catch? Or why why do you not just run? And it's just it's just the thoughts in my head. I'm not I'm not thinking, oh, I must insult that person or I must be very frank with them. It's just like sometimes it's almost the old person gene inside of you. You know, there's a there's a sort of a gland that fades as you get older, like your filter. I feel like I just got it really young. <laughs> and I would just say and they're like, Oh, Shauna, like you can't say that or you can't do that. And I'll be like, why like tell me in the law book where it says I can't or whatever it is um so yeah I felt I felt different straight away but then music food like culturally and that that goes right through to elite so right through to the premiership and England there was always a sense that I was different and it's not it's certainly not anybody's fault it's not me saying oh that club was no good at welcoming me those people are not very welcoming it's just understanding humans and human nature and anything different is is a threat essentially and, and until you you learn and learn the person or learn the task like just not not even just people but if you get given a new task and you feel like it's threatening you you don't understand it then you feel threatened by it um so yeah it, it was just a, a process of of being myself when it could have been, it was hard to be yourself because you were different and eventually you learn to to be strong and, and emotionally be who you want to be because then you come through the other end of it and people I would say accept I'm not I'm not trying to make anybody accept me 
people understand you. Understand is, is a much better word for it. And then they realize saying certain things either triggers you or doesn't trigger you. Doing certain things gets you, doesn't get you. But it also works both ways. Like I'm not, I'm no angel. I, I don't get everything right. I certainly don't get everything right all of the time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot about understanding myself, for me to understand myself, what what I need, the kind of people I need to be around, the type of coaching I need is another thing, how I need to be spoken to, how I need to be dragged out of a hole sometimes, or equally, it's learning your teammates, learning how to bring them up, learning how to get the best out of them, learning that, like I say, I'm a very black and white, frank person, and if someone wants me to do something better, I just need to be told that. I need to be told, tackle lower, that tackle was not good enough. I'm good with that. But then realising that, I can't talk to other people like that because that's not how they need to receive the information. Maybe they do need to be told it was a good attempt and you did good bits right and you put your foot in the right position. You just need to drop your shoulder height. And it's just those little different bits of understanding different people and learning who needs to be spoken to and who needs to be treated in, in different ways. Like I'm very much like you, Sean. I'm like, just tell me how it is. Get to the point in as few words as possible and tell me what I'm doing right and wrong. I don't like to time waste. So for me, it's about, especially in, in our jobs, like high performance, when you're trying to get better at something, I don't need you to sugarcoat it. Just tell me what I'm doing wrong. And I think I've got so used to that as well. And, and you'll feel this shorter from doing it from a younger age as well, I guess, and, and going through different sports, but you just get told every day what you're doing wrong, pretty much. So you get so used to going, well, I'm never good enough, um, which is sad in a way, but it's how we get better as athletes. And I think that um, so many people I meet, though, that aren't like that, you know, they need a little bit more time to either think about it or the way positively reinforcing what they're doing and then come in with the, the sort of criticism. Like you say, people work differently. And I think that's that's not always necessarily to do with I guess your background or your culture, where you come from. But I do, I would say that if you've brought, been brought up a family, it's quite, you know, direct loud to the point <laughs> I grew up in a, in a Birmingham family that you had to shout louder than each other to even hear your voice in that room. Uh, but we were also quite open and honest with each other. And so I do think as well, it, it comes, depends on where you come from it in terms of like your family set up and, and that. So how you become as an athlete then, because yeah, definitely now I'm not the loudest person in the room. And if I want my voice heard in a meeting, I just talk louder and it's something <laughs> I've had to, you know, like rain back on throughout my career as well. So I think it's really interesting the kinds of people you meet and uh, where they've come from. But individually as people, we have to go to the root of the fact that we're, we're all people, despite the fact of what the, the colour of our skin is, whether we have a disability or not, you know, where you come from in the world, religion, background, we are also people and we also or we're all wired differently in our brains. And I think that in sport, we need to come back to that and remembering that we are all people behind what we externally show. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many elements to it. Like you say, it's not just, it's not just skin color. It's not just gender. It's not just sexuality. It's, it's the things of how we're wired at, and the same way, like there's a lot of, of black people in this world that you might have grown up in a country or maybe they're growing up in a farm or they're growing up in a way where maybe they're single um, as an only child. And there's a lot of things that I can't relate to just because they're black. It doesn't mean I'm going to get on with them. Doesn't mean we're going to mm. be the best of friends. But actually, like you say, Lauren, you are a white person from Birmingham. Straight away, I'm like city girl. There's probably going to be a lot more that I, I understand culturally about Lauren's lifestyle than someone who's, who's grown up in a country who just happens to have the same skin color as me. But it's, um, yeah, I just find it so fascinating in the last few years, just learning that. And I've, I sort of grew up in a world where, 
well, I started off it in South London. So everyone was, everyone was a different colour. Everyone was a bit different. Like there was not too much samey, samey. And then as I've got older and, and moved out to Kent and started playing different sports, I realised there is a lot of samey, samey, but it's, it's not, it's not a bad thing. You can just help to, and I, and I would say help to change that. You can help to let people realise that you don't have to be the same. Like even within my family, like niece and nephews, and sometimes I look at them as a group of friends and they're like, I don't know, 18 and 25. And I think from a distance, I haven't got a clue who my niece is. They all look the same. <laughs> They've all got the same colour hair. They all have the same haircut. They all wear the same makeup. And I'm like, <laughs> do you think they all want to look? But then sometimes they do all want to look the same because when you're a certain age, you just want to fit in. But I, I um. I've made a point of letting people know you can you can be a bit different and you can still have the same friends. You don't have to agree on everything. You don't have to preach from the same hymn sheet about anything. You don't have to like the same clothes, the same trainers. And guess what? You can still be friends. You don't have to be the same people everywhere you go. I know that sort of you, we've had conversations around sort of even like uh, gender stereotypes and gender conformity. And um, I guess for you in your career, you've had a lot of people say you, that you present more masculinely and also as well, just the idea around for you that I, I, I guess why we get on so well is around like that idea of you don't have to conform to what that gender should look like as well uh, or how it should present or, or act and uh, do you think that I guess in your career you've you've really stood out for for being yourself? And do you think that that was something that you felt from a very young age that you were like, I don't care if you think that I should dress or look or do my hair a certain way or whatever that may be. Do you think you felt that at a really young age? And do you think that's really helped you then kind of going into your career and and being yourself and being successful? Yeah, there's so many elements of that question I could go so deep into, but it it start it started with, with growing up with a mum who essentially let me do what I want. The only sort of confinements was don't get arrested. So there's a there's a big there's a there's a lot there's a lot to do <laughs> in life without getting arrested. Yeah. Um, so I, I always remember going to primary school. I, I assumed I dressed like the other girls as in skirts and dresses, but there was this one particular day in junior school and hanging upside down on the monkey bars in the playground and my skirt comes up, my knickers are on show, everyone's laughing at me. And that that is that moment has I think changed my whole life because I went home that day and I said, Mum, I'm never wearing a skirt or dress again to school because it means I can't hang upside down in the monkey bars. And if I do, my knickers come out. And everyone laughs at me. She's just like, fine. Like, I didn't need to make a big speech. I had this big, like, moment prepared where I was going to be <laughs> against skirts and dresses. And she just went, yeah, fine. And from that day on in school, I, I never wore one again. Because they're just not practical. Like, they might look nice <laughs> at sometimes. And, and now as an adult, I do occasionally, occasionally wear a skirt or dress. But they just don't suit my life. And... Like I said, I just had a mum who who got that, and I and I don't think she actually got it. And I just said that out loud, but I don't think she got it. What she wanted is just me to just do as I was told. As in, if I get go to the party, well, I'm not going if you put me in a skirt. Fine, wear some trousers. So now we go to the party, and I'm well behaved. Um, and I was always just allowed to essentially do do what I want. I used to play in the summer. Well, any holidays after school, I used to play for hours, and all I would do was was play out go to venture playground go across the road and play on the grass with boys because 
the girls I don't know what girls done when I was growing up I didn't really find any of them because I was always <laughs> playing football or swinging at, at the adventure or whatever it is I don't yeah I don't really know where the girls were but maybe they was inside I don't know doing their nails or something I have no idea but it was, it was just my lifestyle I guess and how I grew up and wearing a tracksuit and and a hoodie is just very practical because it's warm, it's cozy, and I didn't understand dress codes or anything like that. And my mum would just protect me from that. She would never say, oh, no, Shauna, we're going here. You've got to look nicer. You've got to look like a girl. You've got... like, I literally never had that. And so when I've grown up like that, how I am is just, I just assume that's normal. It was never a battle. It was, I all grew up with boy cousins as well. So then I never had other girls to, to look at and almost mold myself on and, and think, oh, that's how a girl's supposed to be. So yeah, that, that, that was me growing up. And then as I got older and kids are, are very honest, is, and especially as you get older and they say, oh, are you a boy? And I was traumatized. Like most days in some fashion, I'd be told you're a boy. And if you're not a boy, you must be a gay girl. And I didn't understand any of this. I knew I wasn't a boy and I knew I wasn't a gay girl. And I would just go home and say, Mom, why do these people think that? And it was the way she did my hair and, you know, heaven forbid someone have a different hairstyle as a, as a girl. And she just went, nah, they're just jealous. That's all she used to tell me. They were jealous. It would be because they're jealous of your beautiful curls or it'd be, well, you play football every day in a cage. You're a boy. And she would say, well, you're obviously better than them at football. It would just be, she just, she, I just grew up in this, this bubble of being told I was excellent at everything which sometimes is not great because then it's hard to be told, well, actually, you're not that good. But it was it, it protected me and, and served me well and to the point where you get to be a teenager. And then that's, you know, when you lose girls in sport quite often at that sort of 15, 16, 17 age. And I thought, oh, I really like winning. I really like getting medals. I really like having somewhere to go on the weekend, like competition. I thought, I'm, not, I'm still not going to do it. And as much as people would say, oh, you're not going to wear a dress today. And I would just be like, no. And then my mum would be also like, no, because she liked the fact that a child was good at things. And I've got an older brother and sister, but they was never into sport. They never took her out and around the country as much as I did with, with my um, competitions, et cetera. So, yeah. And, and then the sexuality thing. Again, I was, I was not even asked the question. I was always told I was gay. And I go, oh, and I'm still not understanding this because I didn't grow up with any, anybody gay. I didn't grow up with anybody trans or anything like that. And I just didn't really understand. And I just thought, oh, okay, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I have no idea, but I quite fancy that boy over there. So I'm going to go and talk to him. So it was, um, yeah, just even now as an adult, I still get asked, am I a man or woman? Um, by, by adults, just as much as, as, as children, I'll instantly be referred to as sir. So I've worked out if I cover my ears or I've got a hat on, then I'm a boy. That's all I have to do is to cover my ears with like a head tape or with a, an earmuff, not earmuffs, but a headband. And I know that I'll be referred to as, as sir and he, him. Sometimes I play, it depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes I play on it um, and sometimes I just ignore it. And sometimes I get angry about it. It literally depends what I've done earlier that day. Um, and then when, I, when I've when i asked people, and it's interesting how, how you word it, um, Lauren, to say present masculine. And I, I just get on with my life. I've now got a fiance who's a guy and I'm marrying him. And I asked him, like, how do you feel? And he goes, oh, I don't care. I know, I know everything about you. But, and I say to me, why do you think I'm gay? Because if I look on people's faces, when I say, oh, my fiance, Benji, and they're like, how does, 
when you say feel, what does that? Have you always look at me? Is it right? Because well, I just assumed you. I didn't even think it was a question. And then I say, why? Why do you think I'm gay? And he goes, well, it's just because of how you are. And I go, well, well, how am I? And it's the one I get, and it gets me every time. Where well, you're quite confident. You're quite sort of out there. And I thought, hmm, is that is that is that a thing? If you're confident as a woman, you must be gay. Um, and then because I wear boxer shorts and I'm always in tracksuit, but you know, it's just practical for our sporting lifestyle. Yeah, do you think that's something as well? I guess being part of also like a uh, a women's team as well. Um, you tend to find in team sports. I know, like with my fiance Jude being part of basketball, you know, they do have quite a high population of LGBT athletes. And do you think that being part of a rugby team as well that just layers that that stereotype as well of just sort of well, you must be gay because you play women's team sport. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And again, I didn't grow up um, doing team sport. So wasn't aware of, of the gay stereotype. So, so when I did start playing, I wanted to play, so, so I played. And it's only now when I ask questions about why people don't play and why parents don't let their daughters play, they literally say, oh, I don't want to, them to be gay. I don't want to turn gay. Okay. You know, you know, being gay doesn't, doesn't work like that. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not a choice. I mean, some people like a bit of both or wherever they go. But it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't just turn gay for, for doing a sport and they go, well, there's just, they go, there's so many gays. And they have to whisper it because they don't want anybody to hear them say the word, there's so many gays. And I go, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what to say next. You just get your girl to play rugby or whatever sport it is. Um, but yeah, yeah I hate to tell you that. <laughs> Turn out being gay. That's just going to happen. Any like it's not really going to matter yeah. whether you say the word out loud or not. Or something like lesbian. Okay, pardon. Yeah. Lesbian. Yeah. Happy Pride, people. <laughs> that is just wild to me, though. Some of the reactions you get from people, but. It sounds like your mum instilled such confidence and self-belief in you from such a young age and it's kind of taken you to everywhere that you wanted to go, which is amazing. And I mean, so many of the women that we speak to on this podcast have said the same thing about their mums being kind of a huge influence for them. I mean, for you, for her, it mu- she must feel so proud to see, I mean, you you became the RFU's poster girl, really. You were, I, I, I used to live by the Oval and one day woke up and saw this <laughs> huge mural of you on the wall. I was just like, oh my God, that's Shauna Brown. That's incredible. Um, and that must be near your old school, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of the reason why it was there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just just on that, being kind of the the, the poster girl, I guess, for the RFU and for, for for women's rugby, what has that been like for you? Because it gives you a huge profile, it, it makes you a role model in a lot of senses, brings certain pressures maybe too. I just wonder, yeah, h- how was that for you? Was that surreal at first? Um, I kind of took it all in my stride, mainly because I really like having my photo done. And I, I love pictures. <laughs> I love being in front of a camera. And while a few years ago, I'd have pretended that I didn't like it because that's the fashionable thing to do. I, now I just say it out loud. And then people go, oh, <laughs> I don't really know how to tease you anymore. Because I'm like, oh, don't pretend you don't love it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. And that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's more when I think back and you talk about the sort of the role model side of it. Gives me it gives me a platform uh, as much as that word gets me sometimes. We give them a platform. I think, oh, what does it actually mean? But it just gives me it gives me right of speech as such, and and 
people listen to me when I talk sometimes. And even that I think is bizarre because, like I said at the beginning, I'm just saying what I think. And I know it's what a lot of other people think. They've just not necessarily got the bravery to say it out loud. So it does come with pressures because, you know, like my social media, for example, I'll always be very aware of who who I'm with, who I'm tagging, what brands are in and around me, um, what I'm wearing. It will be like I wouldn't post anything of me being a night out like drunk or alcohol around me I wouldn't have someone smoking around me and so th- those little minute things that people don't necessarily think of when they're posting on as a as a as an everyday as an everyday normal person um but then when it comes to to, to playing and training I don't put that pressure on myself that I have to be good to, to be heard because ultimately I am I am in the sport first because I want to be good at sport I didn't get into rugby so I could get on my high horse about women and girls and female empowerment and and reminding people in general that they can do more with themselves etc I got into rugby because I love smashing into people that is the beginning and end of it and then it it just sort of came with it so I always want to be better at rugby because I like being good at things. I like to win. I love the feeling of, of winning as, a, as an individual. Equally, I love the feeling of winning as a team. And so then I realized the better I got at rugby, the higher my profile, the more I can speak on my moral causes. So as much as one, i.e. speaking on moral causes, depends on my ability to play rugby, I, I, very easy, I find it very easy to separate the two. Because no matter what, it comes down to I want I just want to play rugby and I really, really enjoy winning. And so it yeah, it didn't necessarily come to some people it, it would come with pressure, but even the way I would treat a game of rugby, I would treat a, a friendly as seriously as I, I treated the World Cup final because I don't work particularly well when it's instilled that this is a high pressure game you have to perform you have to do something different you have to do something special you have to do something you've never done before to win when actually I'm pretty decent at rugby and I put everything in to what I'm doing I find it very hard to go half-hearted and especially in a a full contact sport like rugby that's when you get hurt as well so Mm. yeah I I very much relish in in the the thought of being being a poster girl, but for for the good reasons, for the reasons that I'm pretty decent at rugby, but then equally there's my off pitch mentality uh, and things I'm trying to instill in other people and get people to listen. So, yeah, completely just loved loved being poster girl for the RFU, and in fact that was one of my thoughts: should, should I retire now because like the England France games coming up at Twickenham, and I know that's going to be massive. Imagine how big that would be for my profile, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took the hit and think, no, Shula, that's not a reason to stay. Um, and yeah, so, so I retired on my own terms, but it's uh, two different worlds. And now I can occupy the second world, i.e. my moral causes a lot more because I've got the profile and, and I can still keep growing it to an extent, but um, it's not for reasons of being great at rugby. When you retired, firstly, like, I just thought, such a sure thing to do at the point at which probably to people that she's gonna carry on take on the world like you because you were like your profile was growing so much obviously you know coming back from that world cup final you just think that the natural evolution that like, is just get better and better and better and that your time was never done and i think that when 
I saw that you had retired and I, I was like, that is such a shorter thing to do because it's, it's what is best for you and it's what's right for you in that moment. And I've always loved that. And I think it's something that everybody, every athlete should do is be guided by their heart and what they know they want to do and where their passion is at. And, and I guess for you in, in deciding to retire, what was, what, how did you know you were coming to the end of that journey with, with rugby and how did you know that's what the next step that you wanted to take? interested in the words you use it in sort of what's right in your heart and it and it was it was my heart and coming back from the world cup so bearing in mind we'd been in camp as an England team for like since July until November essentially which is the longest time and yes you would go home in on weekends a few days it wasn't a solid four months but my rugby was was England level like number one slash number two team in the world level that's what I was doing day in day out in my rugby and then it was coming home to club level rugby and I thought this is hard work I thought and it, it was hard because I was one of the first internationals back in into the club setting just because I didn't get as much game time and so it was like a progressive return to to play with clubs and so like I said I, I didn't play that much so I was one of the first ones back in and I, I did struggle with with the level but the level has been the level I've just not had so much time with England before and I'd just chopped between the two. And so I'd always remember the little, and it was just a, a shock. The difference and the understanding was, was another one that got me. I was like, what do you mean? You don't know like what a plus one is in a mall. Like, what have you been doing for the last six months that we've been away? Um, and I just thought, and I was getting annoyed. I was getting very annoyed very often. Like I get annoyed. You, you do, of course, but I was getting annoyed often and, I was starting to say things out loud that I thought, sure, now you can say it once or twice, but you can't say it every time you speak to them. Um, and I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying training. Playing was good fun because I, it's always good fun. You're just running into people for 80 minutes. But it was, yeah, it was, it was my heart says, mm -mm, this is not, this is not why we signed up to rugby. This is not the person that I want to be where I'm just, you know, constantly angry, essentially. Um, so yeah, it was it was hard coming back from play um training and playing at such well the the highest standard in the world for so many months in a row, um and and then coming back to to club club level was hard. So yeah, it was okay because I've been thinking about it. Of course, it was like a World Cup cycle. It was thirty two. You think this is probably a good time to leave, and then, and initially I did think to myself, well I'll retire from England, but I'll stay at club for the rest of the season. But then yeah, like I say, when I came back and I just thought oh, I can't do it. I, I don't want to do it and that that was, was within my gift to not have to do it and so I took the opportunity to no longer do it and just be relieved even and Lauren I don't know what, what kind of times of the day you train but I got used to training during the day and I don't know if people know like in elite women's rugby like the premiership level some teams and Harlequins is one of them you're not finishing until after nine o'clock at night um, on your training days and I just thought I don't I don't want to train at night anymore. Like I like training during the day. I like to go home and, and have, have a life the other side. Um but yeah, club club rugby is very, very different in so many ways to um to international. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. What is the reality, I guess, of being a full-time rugby player in the women's game and, and just financially supporting yourself as well? So the reality is... Depending on what lifestyle you want to lead, you probably still need a bit of an income elsewhere as well, even at England level. And depends on, on your band of pay because there was three different pay bands and, and so three different amounts of years getting paid a year. And yeah, I always felt the need to do something else, but not only for financial reasons, just for, for me reasons, for, for, for my state of mind. And I've never been very good. At, as, as we spoke about Molly in the beginning, I've done so much. I've never been very good at doing just one thing. As in my mind needs something else to stimulate it. I need something else to concentrate on because if I had a, a bad rugby session, if I had nothing else to think about, that would then affect the rest of my day and potentially the rest of my weeks. I'm like, oh, why was it such a rubbish session? Why did I drop so many balls? Why did I miss them? Actually, when I've got something else to go and do, so it was, well, the fire service in the early days of, of my first professional contract, and it was, oh, oh, well, drop some balls, but I've got to get to work now. So like that ship has sailed, close that door. I need to open the next one. Um, but reality is, well, e- each club's different. So uh, from what I know, some clubs do finish training by six or seven now. But then I, I don't understand how they do it because there's still so many workers. But I think they capitalize on, on students and people who have molded their work to be able to train full time and potentially work in the evenings but but for me my my life at Quinn's was so Monday Tuesday Thursday train um and all of those days we would finish so Monday was the early finish and it was like eight o'clock but then Tuesday Thursday you're not like the session finishes at nine but you know you don't get in your car by five past nine you take your boots off you have a little chat you have some drinks something to eat so it wasn't leaving until sort of half nine, quarter to 10. And then and just like Jude, I wasn't getting home till just, just before midnight because I live quite away from training as well. Um, but we would only train as a whole group for essentially three hours a week. So half seven till nine on a Tuesday and Thursday was the main team sessions. And most of our people are, are still full-time workers. And so they couldn't get there during the day. And even that becomes hard because... You try your best to not have a division as a team to the full-time players and the the part-time players. And we even struggled with what to call people without making them feel less because like even the term part-time player, well, they're they're still full-time people and they're still very good players. You don't want to make them feel like less of of players. So that was always hard to get the balance of, like I say, even what to call, but then how to how to do the sessions because often we would do it the daytime session and it would mirror the evening session so you don't want the people doing both to almost get bored because no matter what no matter how much you're being paid no matter how high you you are no matter how old you are you always want to enjoy yourself you want to enjoy sessions you want to enjoy being there so it's just like managing almost boredom whilst trying to get the the correct coaching message across it and get the idea of what we're working on um but yeah the reality of, of the premiership is that that people people work and people work proper jobs like it's not just a sort of zero hours contract a bit of here and there when you're free like people are doctors nurses soldiers raf um we've got a couple of raf police officers in there like 
teachers, a lot of teachers, accountants, like proper, as I would say, proper, proper jobs. They've studied for it. I think we had a solicitor for for a period of time as well. And people just, people, the question would always be, why did you do it? Like, why? And then you, you can't explain it when you're in sport. You just, you just have to do it for yourself because you want to. And, and yes, it's hard. And yes, you have to make a lot of sacrifices and you have to say no to your friends. You have to say no to your family. You have to say no to your partner sometimes for, for going out, doing things, going on holiday certain times of the year. But it's, it's what we do for our happiness. And, um, yeah, for me, I wouldn't change it. For, well, I'd, I'd change the fact that I'd make everyone full time, but you know, it's not as not as simple as that, unfortunately. But it's it's not easy being a elite level rugby player. Does not mean you're a professional rugby player, and it's 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 not easy. Yeah, I think that would be a surprise to a lot of people when they see kind of the growth of the women's game in the last few years. But I mean, while w- the women's game has been in that period of growth, we've also got so many kind of governance and financial issues for rugby as a whole we saw the news with London Irish um, on the men's side and how that is impacting the sport I just wonder for you do you worry about how that might affect the women's side of things when the game as a whole clearly is struggling kind of financially my worry for the the men's side of the game would be understanding that it is partly the men's clubs who can afford to fund the women's game as such and like some of our money does come from the men's clubs but then understanding the numbers behind it and publicizing that whilst the men's game is literally dying and it breaks anyone's heart who's in rugby to see what's happening on the men's side at the moment but the women's game is thriving like women are women and girls are the future of, of rugby and I, I would suggest the future of of modern day society because the more women and girls do, the bigger our society grows and the stronger our society grows. But for particular within rugby, like women and girls are the future because people rugby clubs who currently exist, there's still so many who don't have a, a girls section, although that number is changing. But then what you realise is if you have say you have your your boys train on a Saturday, either Saturday morning, whatever, and now you've opened up a girls section who train on a Sunday, there's now a whole, you know, like four or five hour block where there's people coming through your gates as a rugby club. There's people spending money behind your bar, in your kitchen, um, buying kit, whatever it is. And you see, ah, and it wasn't that hard. We just had to have an extra few hours of training a week. And Yes, it is is very hard in the beginning trying to get girls to come down and, and people will get disheartened to say, like, I've opened the girls section, but nobody comes. But it's just like, stick with it. It is hard. Things are hard. Things, anything worth having is hard and you have to work for it. And you have to now tell girls that you can play rugby, you can do boxing, you can do mixed martial arts and the things that, you know, traditionally, not only would we not be encouraged, but actively discouraged from doing it. and I still hear it every day particularly with with small women why would you want to play rugby like you're too small and I I, I hear it and I go well, I get a little twitch going on I think oh, is it my should I interrupt here or is it not my conversation or argument and it like, depends what mood I'm in sometimes I go huh, what do you mean she's too small and like some of the <laughs> smallest girls are some of the best players because they're agile they don't want to be caught and so they get around the big girls like me and I'm like oh make me look silly 
But yeah, the, um, to your actual question, um, men's game literally dying. Women's game is 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 thriving. What it all comes down to, like you say, is about the club seeing the opportunity in women's rugby and not seeing it as an added expense, but an added opportunity and seeing it as something that can grow, like you say, and is growing. I mean, the the World Cup and the Six Nations um, this year was the biggest kind of indication of that, seeing the crowd, seeing, seeing the interest, but also seeing the level. And um, I think just going back to that World Cup and and that final was obviously heartbreaking for 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 England to come so close but then the occasion of 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 being there in front of what was a world record crowd what was that like and how do you look back on it now with kind of a few months to digest I guess that it didn't go the way you guys wanted it to go well even the fact that uh, your words you just used in 44,000 42,000 whatever it it was a world record crowd and that was only a few months ago and now all of a sudden we're looking at the England France Six Nations game of fifty eight thousand odd. So it's it's the greater good um, that I that I look at. And as much as in the moment it was the worst thing ever. And I remember my first as soon as that whistle went, my first thought was, oh, what a waste of time! Like I've just wasted the last six months of my life, the last how many however many years of my life wanting to play for England, wanting to win a World Cup, and it's all been a complete waste. Like get me home now. I was saying to the girls, you got to teleport. Has anyone got to teleport? I need to get out of here right now. Um, the longest flight ever, I can imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's not even talk about the flight. It was horrendous. <laughs> it's enough to put me off going to that side of the world ever again. But that's a whole different matter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a uh, get me out of here. This is horrible. I've just wasted, I've just wasted my life. Um, but then you, no, you didn't even get home, I guess. We got on the bus and, and as a team, after games, we, we sing as with so many team sports for every like try scorers or player of the match or maybe yellow cards and um, whatever it is, you just, you sing. And, and so we got on that coach and, and we sang and it was sad. <laughs> it was so sad. And we were singing slow songs and there's quite a bit of a Adele there, but it was, <laughs> then, then you get home, home and it's just like, wow, there's, there's been an impact because I think being physically on the other side of the world, we didn't necessarily see the impact. We didn't see what was going on at home. We didn't see all of the, the sort of the house parties, the, the watch parties, the, the pubs and bars opening at the, well, before the crack of dawn to be able to watch the game. Uh, and yes, we had social media, but it's not, it wasn't our everyday. Um, and even I remember like coming back in the following week, I, I got on a train to London for an event and someone just randomly on the train went, are you Sean Brown? And I was just like, yeah. And he's like, oh, well done for the final. It was heartbreaking. And I was just like, whoa, what has never happened? Like I'll get it at, at events, sports events, but like women's sports events, maybe a rugby game. But it was just like, wow. But pe- people actually watched it and and then like so the next few weeks when I was seeing people for the first time, it was such a, a mixed reaction in, in terms of one bloke who went, I'm angry at you. And I knew he was talking about rugby and I said, oh, tell me about it. I'm angry at myself. <laughs> and he went, and then I sort of like getting ready to get angry with everyone. And he went, you made me late for work. I said, what? And he goes, that was the greatest game of rugby I have ever seen. And I told my boss I might be a few minutes late because I wanted to at least watch the first half. But he said, I couldn't, I couldn't leave the screen because I never knew at any point what was going to happen. I was just like, oh, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Tell your boss that I'm sorry, but it would have been great if we won. He's like, no, don't worry about the win. Like you girls did the country so proud and, and did women so proud and did rugby so proud. And yeah, it's uh, it, in the moment is horrendous. And I just think wasted my life. But um, then, then you come away and realize the bigger picture stuff. It's um, when, when we step onto the pitch as a, as, a, as a group of women to play rugby, we are, without realizing it, we're changing thoughts, minds, perceptions. We're, we're changing the world just by doing what we love. And then, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that away from from anything that I've done. And somebody did a podcast afterwards, and the question was, I've got thirty caps. Would I take twenty nine away for a win? So I'd got one cap and one World Cup final, or would I leave it as it was, keep my thirty caps and not win? And in my head, I thought, oh, I'll definitely take the one cap and win. But then, absolutely <laughs> not, because then everything that I've done, then it would have been a waste. Everything I've done leading up, like none of it would have happened. I'd have played once, won a World Cup, and then then what do you do? Imagine like winning a World Cup on your first cap. You'd think, oh, I have to move on to another sport now. I've conquered it already. So yeah, it's um, it was it was very special, even though hard to take in the moment. It's so beautiful hearing you say and just reflect back in a positive light. Now, I guess now you've had a bit of time to think about it. And as athletes, taking losses is is difficult. It's hard. Like you, like you say, you 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 know you you lose for me a race, whether it's for you a game, and you think to yourself, like, what a waste of my life that was. Like I've just sacrificed everything, and now uh, I didn't even get the medal, but. On the flip side of it, you realise it's not really about the medal. It's not about the win or, or the loss. It's about, I guess, like the impact of, I guess, the the journey first in how that made you feel. And, and like you talk about that moment of you girls being in the bus together and singing. Like those are the bits that you remember on, on your way and in your career. And uh, the bits for me, like whether you win or lose is, is the people around you. It's the team you're part of. And I think that's the beauty of sport. It's the moments along the way that make it special and, and give you the wins almost. Um, and as much as we want to go out there and win, it is also about like you spend so much time training and sacrificing and you spend more time with your team than you do with your own family. And it's those beautiful moments that you have that I'll always look back on like some of my least favorite races that I've done um, and stuff like that. I think I always look back on and go, but... I really had some incredible moments along the way um, and I really developed who I was as a person. And I think I also listening to you talk about those that those sort of bits where you've been recognized like on the train and stuff like that. And it makes me throw back to your famous speech that you're now known for after your Premier 15s final. Um, after you won with Quinns in, in 2021. And um, I just want to read like a bit of a quote from it because I just want to put into perspective, I guess, like the words you said in the moment and now what we're talking about, where the women's game is going. Um, and you've said there in, in your speech and you put, it's, it's about putting us on a platform and knowing that we can do it. And at the end of the speech, you say, we're here and I challenge anyone to say women's rugby is not good enough because we are. And now listening to us talk about 58,000 people, you know, people approaching you on the train. Is it wild now looking back, even in that space of a couple of years that you've just gone through, from how you felt that moment talking and making that speech at the end of that final to where you are now, does it just give you just like an unreal amount of hope for the future for the women's game? Uh, short answer, yeah, for sure. Um, but I am also optimistic person. And when I 
in my head. I want something to happen. So I do everything I can to make it happen. It's like that elite athlete disease. Obviously, like you'd plan to be in a world championship. You plan to be in an Olympic Games. You plan to be in a Paralympic Games. So obviously I'm going to get there. Like I've always planned, not necessarily out loud or, or done loads of figure and important stuff around it. But I've always planned for the women's game to get this big. This was always part of what was going to happen. And if it didn't happen, then there's something really wrong elsewhere. But yeah, when it's when I look back and think of what, what I've said, what I've done, when I read back my notes for speeches I've done, that, you know, they're now out of date in terms of what I'm saying and what figures I'm using. Or even I look back at my game notes and what I used to be working on compared to now. So yeah, it's real important sometimes to look back for you to realise how far you've come because I'm very guilty of being caught in the moment and thinking, well, obviously, obviously we was going to put 58,000 people in Twickenham to watch the women's game. But actually, it's not that many years ago when we were at Doncaster Knights and I think it's like a 5,000 capacity and we were buzzing that we sold out Doncaster Knights and then had to move for the next um, next tournament. But yeah, it's, it's always very important to look back to realise how far you've come because as an elite athlete, you just, you always want more. And like you said earlier, Lauren, you just get used to being told what you're rubbish at and you don't always get celebrated what you're good at. Um, so there's part of, even I think as being a woman, we're, we're quite guilty of criticising ourselves and guilty of always saying what's wrong to the point where, you know, we'd watch a, a rugby game back as a team and just ask for thoughts on the team. The, the first five points are going to be, well, we should have tackled lower. Uh, we should have carried a bit more, like of what we could have done better. And I'd always, like, you have to make an effort to say, girls, look at everything we got right. Like, let's just not talk about the bad. Um, so yeah, it's important to look back to realise how far you've come. Yeah, sometimes when you're going through the struggle and especially I think in women's sport as well or, or any sort of um, oppressed group, I find like, you know, I find myself in Paralympic sport, you know, sometimes you re you think the struggle's so hard and I feel like I'm fighting every single day just for my rights or just to get a bit of like respect and, and airtime, you know, for what I do and what I work so hard for. And I think sometimes you, it's hard to sit back and go, actually, you know, we've made so much progress and the fact that people even know what I do, you know, even in the Paralympic game before London, no one even watched Paralympic sports. So the fact that we're sat here, you know, like 10 years later going, people now know what I do, know what Paralympic rowing is, even know who I am, you know, like even like to you saying about getting approached on the train. I had that when we came back from Tokyo, I had that people approaching me and being like, are you Lauren Rouse? And I was like, whoa, it blew my mind because I just, <laughs> as a young kid, you just love doing sport and never thought that that would be a reality, that people would know me for doing what I loved. And so I think we do have to take the, the small wins as well as the huge wins and also go well done to us for that. And I think that, yeah, I just want to say to you, Sean, well, well done, like what you have done in the women's game and what you have done for not only women's rugby, but women's sport and how powerful you've spoken about uh, what change you want to see, but also the respect that we deserve is, is just been overwhelming. And yeah, thank you for, for everything that you've done there. Um, and we love to, cl to close the podcast a little bit because obviously women support women um, and most of us are inspired by somebody else um, that we have um, come across in our tracks, whether it be in sport or not. But um, there's so many incredible sports women out there and we really like to know what uh, other athletes, uh, female role models are in sport. And so we would like to know from you who your uh, 
female role model is. It can be in sport or out of sport. We're we're kind of mixing it up. But if you give us maybe one from from both and why? Yeah. So out of sport has always been mum. She's just been the person that's made me think I'm invincible and made me think I can always do more. And equally, there was I didn't I didn't feel like I had a choice growing up of any female sporting role models because you know we weren't put on screens, we weren't put in front of people, so I didn't really know that they existed. But then in sport and someone I, I found in my later life is Ebony Rainford Brent. She's from like a similar background to me in terms of being South London girl, but also playing a sport like cricket, which is completely not what black women from South London do um, and all the good she's doing with her ACE program. So just getting more and more different types of people playing cricket because I would suggest rugby and cricket have, have similar issues with getting who, who they get to do it. So yeah, for sure, Ebony Rainford-Brent is officially now my hero. Amazing. Ebony is incredible. Agreed. Well, I mean, we're going to have to wrap it up, but thank you so much for taking the time, Shauna. It's been, yeah, a complete joy to talk to you and to take get kind of an insight into all of your experiences after your incredible career and yeah wish you the best for what retirement has to offer you so thank you so much thank you for having me it's been great